It's September 28th, 2017. I'm Aaron Ross Powell, and this is Episode 2 of my show. I'm joined today by my friend Adam Bates. We are going to talk about video games, specifically our top five favorite video games of all time. Adam, you stressed a lot putting this list together. It was very difficult. I've done a lot of podcasts, usually in in the policy environment, but this was by far the most prep work and the most agonizing uh, in the lead up to this podcast. How did you bake your list? I mean, how did you... What favorite video was true of Red Dead. I just think it was a much, it was a more compelling story than your average GTA game. So that's why I think so highly of it. Is that still the case today with their newer ones? Or is that because the the stories that you had an impact on in big narrative RPGs is a relatively new thing um, for for AAA titles. Um, And Red Dead came out, I think, before that was really going on with, say, Mass Effect um, and Dragon Age, that Bioware doing that, or even, I mean, I guess it came out after Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. um, but have the later, like, GTA Five, which I played a little bit of, but not enough to know the answer to this question, have have they given you more of an impact on the way the story plays out? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the, the big uh, gimmick sounds pejorative, but the big, the big innovation for GTA Five, which is great, it's a great game, and I like it a lot, is... Uh, that you're playing multiple characters in this story, and from what I understand, this is the, the same will be true of the new the new Red Dead game. So, and you can switch back and forth between the characters at, at any time, uh, and the characters are like living their lives when you're not playing as them. So, when you switch to that character, they may be involved in a police chase or they may be doing some some crazy thing. So, uh, GTA Five had had good characters, but no, as far as uh, your ability to to influence the world and and to have the world react uh, to you as you. Play play the game i think it's still it's still the the uh the old school gta formula okay yeah i never played red dead redemption i um it was one of the games so our our mutual friend trevor burris my co-host on the free thoughts podcast um i believe that i went over to trevor's house and we were going to play it together which off which usually means i've watched trevor play a lot of video games Um, and i think that was one of the ones that i've watched him play and it certainly looked gorgeous and really interesting um, and worth worth taking another look at. I'll certainly keep an eye out for. Well, for Red me, Dead it was too. just this was always a world that you. Uh, it's a world that you wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you, if I had time, if I had forty five minutes to kill, uh, it was a game that you could fire up, and you just because of the the ambience, because of the environment, because of of the world that they had built, and and uh, the score. I mean, everything from top to bottom. You just wanted to to exist in this world, and I think that's that's a crowning achievement of those kind of open world games, uh, despite the the lack of you know effect on the world. So so yeah, if you haven't played Red Dead yeah. Redemption and you're at all interested in those types of games you should definitely uh get on that that's what i mean that's what grabbed me about la noir was this was a world that i wanted to spend a ton of time on and had in my head from reading for all these years and they it was just perfect so it was just wandering around la and yeah i mean if you're into the west uh, so my my second and final honorable mention i'm cheating as i will again later with one of my top five by combining games but i'm going to say wing commander two and three Um, wing commander one is a terrific game but was not the wing commander two was the first game that i played that wasn't a traditional rpg 
Um, and traditional RPGs at that time were things like the old SSI gold box games based on Dungeons and Dragons stuff, like Pools of Radiance, which were top-down, turn-based, mostly combat simulators. Um, and Wing Commander was the first, I guess, I'll call it the first cinematic game that I played. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a space flight sim, Mankind versus the Kilrathi, the space <laughs> tigers. Um, and it had, for the time, Wing Commander 1 and then Wing Commander 2 upped it, had really advanced graphics. So it was, it got rid of, the ships weren't polygons, it was bitmapped. And so it was like bitmapped images that faked rotating around in space by just giving you a different bitmap from a different direction. But it looked awesome because the ships were textured in a way that they had never been before. Um, and and then if you had a sound card, if you went out and you I talk your parents into buying a sound <laughs> blaster and you downloaded the drivers for it and set that up, which was fun back in the DOS days, then it had full speech, which was mind-blowing. Uh, and, and characters that you interacted with and were compelling and a great story that happened between missions. Um, and then Wing Commander 3 was the same thing but full motion video which was cheesy yes and was something that wore out its welcome pretty quick but again at the time was incredible and it starred mark hamill i was about to say i looked yeah. at the mark hamill yeah one. it was the mark hamill one and, and again it was the story was great and it was i mean it was low budget sci-fi but man those games were a hell of a lot of fun when I, yeah, unfortunately, I, we were, my family, we were late adopters to, to PC gaming. So I grew up, um, I was born in 85, which is, I think that's the year that uh, it, the regular Nintendo came out in the U.S. Um, so I had consoles my whole life. Uh, but PC, we didn't really, I don't think we got a PC until 97 or 98. Um, so there, I'm sure there's a bunch of glorious PC games that I missed out on growing up that I've, I've just never got around. So I've never played the Wing Commander games. I'm familiar with them, but I, I never got to enjoy those. Well, then let's, we'll go honorable mentions out of the way. We'll get to the meat of this, which is the top five. So I figure we'll just work our way from five to one. So what's your number five game? Number five for me is Red Baron 3D. Which was actually one of the first uh, one of the first PC games that I I got, and I did I remember trying to convince my parents that we really needed a graphics card, a Voodoo graphics card, so uh, we could play Red Baron 3D in its 3D features. Uh, but so Red Baron 3D for me, it had this. So this is World War One, obviously. Um, the I remember the instruction book for Red Baron was about 300 pages, and it was illustrated. It had an entire history of of uh world war one aerial combat and the red baron and all of that um and i remember it had a it had a dynamic campaign so like the world world war one in the air shifted as you played the game so if you ran into albert ball i always fought for the germans for some reason so if you <laughs> if you ran into yeah. to uh eddie rickenbacker or albert ball and you shot him down and, and killed him or whatever it changed the entire course of the war and if you uh if you fired on the ambulances that were coming to pick up the pilots, you would be sent to the, the salt mines of, uh, for war criminals. Uh, that was the first, again, having played console games my whole life, that was my first real uh, 
soiree into into PC gaming, and I was just blown away at that at the dynamic nature of the campaign of the customization. You could uh, export your plane into uh, Microsoft Paint and paint whatever designs you wanted on your airplane, uh, and really that that game started a, a lifelong appreciation of of flight simulators. I still play the the DCS uh, flight sims that are these hyper complicated. All the switches in the cockpit actually do what they do, uh, but all of that goes back to Red Baron, and I still uh, through GOG. Uh, GOG.com. I still have Red Baron 3D, and I still try to get it to run on occasion. And if I ever get it fired up, it's it's still playable even now. Yeah, those big PC flight sims were. I never did the really serious ones, but a lot of. Do you ever play Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe? I did not play. I played that might have been Air earlier. War. That might have been earlier than you had a PC. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the German World War Two. Although it was all, it was all like the. Uh, never real or only in development so they had jets and like the the flying wing and all Mm -hmm. of these semi-sci-fi nazi science projects that you could fly (laughs) Uh, yeah they were yeah flight simulators were huge in the in the mid and late 90s i there were a, a, a there was a a ton of world war ii ones especially there was jane's ww uh two fighters european air war uh, Microsoft Combat Flight Simulator. Then they kind of went away for for several years, but now they are. And now I think they there are a lot are they of, coming of back? yeah, but they're <laughs> these are these tend to be much more comp. These really are simulators. Uh, I so think. I remember my friend Lowen, his dad had, was hardcore into flight sims, and he played was Falcon three I remember Falcon three and, and I I remember seeing the um, the instruction manual that came with it, it was like a three hundred and fifty page book. It was like made the box heavy as hell and and then you have do you have the full like multi-stick controllers and whatnot with i do uh thrust master was that what yeah thrust master warthog so dcs uh a10 is their like flagship flight simulator and it's the a10 warthog uh and yeah the the flight guide for that uh in pdf it basically is the flight guide for an A10 Warthog. I'm I'm reasonably confident that I could get one off the ground <laughs> if I just sat in the cockpit of one. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't help myself. Uh, everybody was saying you have to get this track IR. I don't know if you're familiar with no. that, but it's this little infrared sensor that sits on top of your monitor. Uh, and you clip it on your headphones and then it tracks your head in the game. So you can you can look around without you could look around in real life and it looks around in the game. Uh, and then I do have uh, it's probably the most expensive gaming peripheral that I've ever <laughs> allowed myself. The uh, um, the throttle and the and the joystick that is actually patterned after the A10 Warthog. So this is all this is all Red Baron 3D's fault. Uh, Red Baron got me started on this on this path to nerddom, uh, and I've been here ever since. Well, my top five is probably the most controversial on my list. Mm. Um, so my number five game of favorite video games is Dragon Age 2. Interesting. Um, so I know that Dragon Age 1, everyone adored. Uh, and then everyone thought Dragon Age 2 was a radical step back and frequently a terrible game. I loved it. <laughs> I never finished Dragon Age 1. For some reason, it didn't work for me. I think it was probably because I came to it after playing Mass Effect. So I had not played video games in a long time. I didn't own... I had a PlayStation 1 in college when the PlayStation 1 was still the hot thing. 
And then I did not own another console until I bought a PS3 late in its life. I think I bought it right about the time Mass Effect 3 came out, um, which I don't know the date for that, but that that dates it. Um, and I only bought it because you could stream NFL Sunday Ticket on it, <laughs> and I needed something to do that. And then I bought some games, uh, and that's what I played. So I, I played Mass Effect, but I think that Dragon Age 1 didn't work for me because the main character wasn't voiced. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. I played Dragon Age Origins. Right. Um, I got pretty far into yeah, that and yeah. never finished it. But I didn't get into I didn't get into two uh, just because yeah. the first one never really hooked me. Yeah, the, I think that the voicing thing just made it uh, this, and it's it's probably ridiculous on my part to not get into a game for that reason or to knock a game for that reason. But like, you have this wonderfully cinematic game with these rich characters who have terrific voice acting and then you just pick from a list and stand silently <laughs> and it just didn't work and so that i and then for there are other i just wasn't that into what was going on in dragon age origins but dragon age 2 i so people don't like it because the story is it's it's very small it all takes place in one city and a handful of outside locations near it like the shore down the street but it's so you don't get the expansive traveling across a, a grand world that you had in the first one. It's also doesn't have the epic storyline. Like most of it is just slice of life and it jumps forward in time a lot. So you'll, you'll go on a big adventure. Like you'll, you, you know, and you start off your refugees effectively in this city and you rise to the top. That's the story of Dragon Age 2 is, is, being a refugee and then eventually becoming the the champion as you referred to um and so you'll go on some you know the, the first part is trying to f get on a big expedition into the dwarven mines to recover some treasure and once you complete that it jumps forward 10 or 15 years and now you're on to something else so those are all reasons that it didn't it also had a much more simplified combat system it was much more just button mashing and actiony than the first one and all of those things made it perfect for me. <laughs> I'm terrible at complex RPGs. I'm terrible at strategy games. I can't stand inventory management. Um, I I can't stand having to like think about what my companions are doing or give them directions or strategize. I just want to beat up things and move on to the next part of the story. And so the the simplified combat was great for me. And I just really dug the setting. I really liked this getting to know a city, getting to know the people in it, and participating in its politics. And then it was cool that the the ending was sufficiently epic enough to tee up the the kind of grand meta narrative of the third game and eventually fourth game. So I put it in my top five because I had a blast playing it and it did everything I wanted a game to do. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've had this, I've never really been able to get into those kinds of RPGs. The, uh, the turn-based combat RPGs, the isometric RPGs, especially the ones where you have to manage your party. Uh, I've had the same problems with that. I'm just, 
for whatever reason, I just have a hard time getting into these games. I'm not interested in, in telling everybody what to do and setting up the strategy. And, and I, I view the combat in a lot of these games as like, yeah, this is, this is just something that's in the way of me getting from, from point A to point B. So um, I've avoided most of these games. I never played Dragon Age. I, I played a bit of Dragon Age Origins and then kind of gave up on the whole series. Um, right now, my brother has me uh, playing this game, Divinity Original Sin 2, which everybody's just raving about. Uh, the main character is voiced in this, if you're interested okay. in it. But so, is this this is an isometric? It point? is, it is, and turn-based uh, combat. It's like and spiritual it, successor of Baldur's Gate kind of thing. I I've heard that. I never played okay. Baldur's Gate either, uh, so I can't say it from my own experience. But uh, I'm giving this another try. I, I'm convinced that I know that these are good games. I've just never been able to really. Uh, they've never been that accessible to me. So I'm going to keep keep hacking away at it and see if I can get into one. So what's your number four? Number four for me, this is a big shift, is Kerbal Space Program. Uh, We've talked about this, but I know (laughs) basically nothing about this game. So I love Kerbal Space. I love Kerbal Space Program. So the basic premise of the game is you are running a a space program and you're in charge. This is basically an analog for Earth, uh, but it's called Kerbin and your little people that exist in this world are called Kerbals. Uh, And... Uh, despite the kind of cutesy art system, uh, it's it's basically a rocketry simulator, an orbital mechanics uh, simulator. So um, this is a, an indie game. It's a it's a company from Mexico called Squad. It was early access. It was all the things that that people are are, are wary of. But I think it's a perfect example of how that kind of early access model can work, especially when uh, the company listens to the they're in touch with the community. Uh, and because the the physics simulation so basically this is a game where you're just gonna blow your people up all the time uh you're you're figuring out as you go how rockets work how to uh get off the launch pad how to get into orbit uh eventually you know how to how to land on other planets or uh do whatever you want uh this is a game that that really tasks you with setting your own goals uh, but it's a very simu- serious simulation of orbital mechanics and, and rocketry. So uh, early on, they they got a lot of support from uh, rocket scientists, from people who work at NASA. So they developed this really nerdy community that was helping them develop this game uh, as it went on. And I, I just think it's a perfect example of how early access can can function well instead of just being <laughs> a huge ripoff. Uh, and I, I this is a game that's it's taught me so much. I learned this is not just the time some of my games are time wasting games some of my games have kind of this moral narrative where i feel like they've impacted my life some way uh this is a game where i feel like i've learned a tremendous amount of of science so you're saying that not only do you think that you could get an a10 warthog off the ground but you could also put a rocket into space i'm horrible at kerbal space program uh so you have to be in order to enjoy this game at all you have to enjoy failing at things and that's going to be uh, a few of my games on, on my list are like that where um if you are somebody who wants to be good at everything and you just want things to work this game will frustrate you to no end uh so i would be a terrible space program manager is what i found i may be able to get an a10 off the ground but if i have a rocket everybody's dying so this sounds like this is i imagine a really hard game trial and error 
it, it is it's 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 very hard because or because rocketry is is very difficult but there there's a great as i said there's a great community built up around it um scott manley i don't know if you're familiar with him but he's a he's a youtuber who is he's also an astrophysicist and he plays uh, a lot of games and and puts tutorials on youtube to kind of help uh help you know brand newcomers here's how you build your first rocket here's what you're doing uh and that's that's one of the great things about especially pc gaming i think is if any problem you have somebody else has had that problem Mm -hmm. and if you uh go looking for help from the community there are people who will help and kerbal has a wonderful community to to help people get into the game and they've all they also have a, a a version of the game that they're uh packaging for schools uh to use in science classes and talented and gifted programs to get kids interested in and rocketry on this idea that a lot of a lot of math gets a lot more interesting when there's an explosion at the end right (laughs) so uh i i it's not a game that i've spent you know thousands of hours playing or anything but i i love everything about it i love the company i love its its development and i i really like what it represents so so that's how it ended up on my list number four for me is it's perhaps given away by the intro music to this podcast is star control 2 (laughs) This is the oldest game in my top five. The only one that I played as a kid as opposed to playing after I got back into video games with my NFL Sunday ticket PlayStation. Um, It is a epic space exploration and RPG. Um, So you are a, a mission was sent to explore a planet way, way out there at one point and it discovered ruins of an alien race and this super advanced spaceship and so you are the descendants of those colonists who got the spaceship working again and and flew home to earth and you find when you arrive which is when the game starts that earth has been conquered um it's been the planet earth has been there's some sort of shield around it that prevents anything from getting in and out and there's a space station in orbit and there's like one guy who works in that space station and so you start talking to him and it turns out that this alien race conquered earth while you were gone um and so you being the only humans who have a ship um you're you've been tasked to set earth free which entails building up a armada of some kind to take on the the alien invaders which means exploring the galaxy and mining planets going and you know building new spaceships buying lots of upgrades for yours that sort of thing which is all well and good and is not typically the kind of thing that i enjoy all that much but star control 2 has two things going for it first the music is incredible you got this me is, playing this game a few months ago, so I can I can vouch for some of this, this because I'm I'm still trying to fire this up now. It's yeah, I so this is like It's music, free online, by the way. It's free online too. I'll put a note in the show notes. It was it was the source code was released um and then it it was updated into a version I think called the Urquan Masters that you can download for free that's just a modernized, the graphics cleaned up a bit version that's multi platform and is totally worth downloading. Still has glorious voice acting too. Yeah, and that's so. That's the so the music is incredible. Um, many many hummable tunes on my you know the MIDI sound card. But then what really makes it awesome is the alien races. So you encounter these alien races, and every single one is extraordinarily memorable. They all are have very distinct personalities. They're hilarious. Um, 
the writing is great. The voice acting is great. Um, yes, the I mean, the full voice, not for you, I should say, like your character remains silent <laughs> as ever. But um, when you talk to the aliens, they're all awesome and they all want something from you and you have to figure it out and you have to explore the galaxy. Um, and also the ship combat, which is this top-down kind of vector and thrust-based shoot 'em up there's a standalone version of it that comes with a game that's called Super Melee, where you get to pick a handful of ships and you can play against another person. And my friend and I played it like crazy when I was in probably middle school, um, both at the same keyboard. So you put the keyboard in front of you and one is you is like on ASWD and the other one is on the arrow keys. It seems like it incentivizes physical violence. Yes. Oh, the two yeah, people. yeah. Cheating like crazy but man it, it's, it's playing super melee against someone is i think like there's a lot of head-to-head games out there um there's a long history of fighting games but nothing has ever topped the super melee of star <laughs> control 2 um, and the game is just just incredible um it's it's like perfect as far as that kind of space exploration somewhat goofy epicness goes it is a bit goofy it is a bit goofy i did notice that and i i'm very terrible at that top-down combat i i was getting destroyed quite often in that game but uh yeah it is for free online and i i i really did enjoy it and i know that if i had played that when i was young it would have just it would have blown my mind if i had played it when it when it came out uh now i feel like you know so many games are so far beyond that but it's because games like that existed in the first place, right? Yeah, I, I think mean, it's, the influence of this game is enormous. And so when you play it, you can see... It's like playing It's like playing Knights of the Old Republic and then seeing, you know, like, oh, that's where they got that thing in Mass Effect from. Um, Star Control 2 shows up everywhere. The, the sequel... So the first one is much more of a simulator, and I don't terribly recommend it. Star Control 3 is... I also don't necessarily recommend, but is very weird because they used instead of just animated drawings for the aliens, they used puppets. <laughs> and it's the puppets are pretty entertaining, even if the rest of the game is is considerably less so. Um, but Star Control 2, definitely, or its modern iteration, the Urquan Masters, definitely, my number four. Number three, Adam. Number three. Oh, I, I love this game. Uh, my number three is Crusader Kings 2, uh, which is also a PC game. This is a, a grand strategy game. Uh, but from a company called Paradox Interactive from Sweden. You've recommended uh, this one to me a lot. I, I recommend this to everyone. Um, I should start uh, and say that I grew up playing the, the Total War games. So Shogun Total War was the first one, uh, Medieval, Rome, uh, those kind of uh, that had the turn-based kind of grand strategy and then the the real-time battles that was the big selling point and still is for the total war games is the the real-time battles with all the you know thousands of of soldiers individually modeled uh so that's what i grew up on but but since i started playing crusader kings it's really kind of put me off these total war games uh and it's interesting because in in games like crusader kings and their other games like europa universalis and stellaris um, you don't have that much control over the combat. Uh, uh, in Crusader Kings, you, the, the basic premise of the game is you are playing as a medieval dynasty. Uh, so the game starts in, in 1066, or depending on, on the expansions, it, it has different start dates. Uh, but the point of the game is to manage this family, this medieval family, and get them through 
uh, the centuries. So uh, you're playing as an individual character. You're not a civilization. And the game is populated by thousands of these individual characters. Uh, and, and what I love about it is it's the first game I've, I've really played where... You, despite the fact that the every character in the game is basically a spreadsheet, is basically a collection of numbers, uh, it does a wonderful job of giving them stories and making them seem like people and giving them incentives. Uh, so there are a lot of morbid, hilarious things that go on as as life was morbid and hilarious by our standards in, in, in the Middle Ages. Uh, but so if you, uh, a lot of time will be spent, for instance, uh, trying to organize marriages for your, for your son or, or for your daughter, trying to marry your daughter off for the purpose of an alliance. Uh, and all of the, the feudal dynamics and the feudal inheritance laws are, are modeled. I think this helped me pass the bar exam, actually, uh, because we still have a lot of these kind of bizarre things when it comes to inheritance uh, that, that are modeled in the game. Uh, but so you run into these situations like you, your son, you are living in a system where your oldest son will inherit your kingdom. And, and once you die, your character dies, you, be, you play as the next in line. You play as whoever inherits your kingdom. Uh, so what happens when your son is an imbecile uh, who is uh, illiterate and uh, uh, can't have offspring or is just, uh, is just dumb? Is <laughs> just dumb and you know this person is going to, to bury uh, your dynasty. In this game, you can let that happen. You can murder him. You can send him off to fight the Crusades. Uh, it really presents you with a lot of, of moral quandaries, and you can figure out what kind of person you are uh, based on this game. Uh, it also... Uh, I'm just a history nerd. I'm a nerd for this time period in history. It, it deals a lot with the Crusades, the, the research that went into this uh, as far as the religions and, and, and uh, the politics of the time. Uh, I think if you're if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, for instance, and you like all that political intrigue, uh, Crusader Kings is a great game for you. It, it can be a little intimidating because of how much is going on, um, but I absolutely love this game. And I what I really love in the grand strategy sense is that you really are playing as individual characters and seeing the other people in the world uh, as individual characters. And I think it, it's it's got me out of this mode where when I played Total War games, it was all about the war. That's what those mm -hmm. games are focused on. Uh, Crusader Kings treats war like an inconvenience. It's something that, that ruins your plans. It's a, it's a very ineffective means to an end. Uh, and that's kind of how my I've developed ideologically since I've started playing games, is I used to think war was this awesome thing, and now I think uh, war is basically the absolute last resort. Uh, in this game, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to marry your, your daughter off to form an alliance, and then this war starts, and it you know, bankrupts your, your civilization. It just War is what happens when uh, uh, it ruins all of your other plans. So uh, if you want to find out what kind of schemer and what kind of horrible person you are, I would definitely <laughs> recommend crusader kings so i have not played crusader kings or any of the related or similar games that you mentioned but as you were describing it it made me think of have you heard of or played a game called king of dragon pass i have not i've not even heard of that so it sounds like that may be the prototype of this sort of thing it was a i just pulled it up on wikipedia now um because I don't remember details like this, but it was this was a 1999 game. It's set in a this tabletop role-playing game setting that I know called Clorantha, which has a reputation as being you know one of the most fleshed out and interesting 
tabletop settings, but it's you, you're in charge. I only played it a little bit because I think it came out for on like the iPad. There was a re-release on the iPad, but um, you, you're in charge of a, um, a clan of barbarians. And it sounds like very much like what you're describing. Um, you have to take care of these people and you have to make morally difficult decisions and you can engage in war or not and just build this clan up from nothing um so that might be worth checking out yeah and well and so i think i gave short shrift to the amount of of history and the amount of research that has gone into these i mean because the game map based on the expansions uh, is basically from England uh, and and uh, Northwest Africa all the way to the Indian subcontinent, and every ca- every area from from those two places is county, duchy, region. I okay. mean, so there are thousands of characters. All of them uh, are researched as much as possible. The actual historical characters who existed in these times. Um, there's actually a, an interface in the game where if you click on their portrait and click on a little icon, it will take you to the Wikipedia page of that actual <laughs> okay. historical yeah. figure. Uh, so it, there is that historical aspect too. That's, that's just, if you want to put yourself in the position of a Catholic King and uh, you want to do all these things and the Pope doesn't want you to do these things. So what can you do? You can, you can listen to what the Pope says. You can set up your own anti-Pope. You can try to have the Pope assassinated. You can get yourself excommunicated. Uh, it, it's just a great historical fiction simulator in addition to, to figuring out what kind of horrible person you are that, uh, and whether you would, I don't know, kill children in your family to change the inheritance and, and things of that nature. So the game is this historical. Is it scripted? Like, is there an end to it? No, there's no there's no scripted end. I mean, theoretically, the game. So the game starts uh, originally. It started in 1066, which is the Norman conquest of mm-hmm. England, uh, and the game in technically ends in 1453, which is when the Turks uh, sacked uh, Constantinople, uh, and then that goes into their next game, which is Europa Universalis, which kind of starts in that 1453 period. Uh, but you can play forever. There, there's nothing. And again, this is another game like Kerbal, where there's no there's no narrative here, and there's no you are setting your own goals. Technically, the only goal is to ensure that your family line does not die out. Uh, but in these in these centuries uh, of intrigue, so what you're really trying to do is uh, propagate enough members of your dynasty so that even when the plague hits or even when the Mongol hordes come sweeping across, uh, you still have somebody somewhere who has some title that you can that you can keep playing. But aside from that, everything you want to do in this world is is up to you to decide for yourself. Sounds a little overwhelming. It can be, and I think these, these uh, Kerbal is kind of the same way. There is this huge investment up front mm-hmm. uh, to figure out. The, the tutorials try, but there's, there are so many systems and so many things to learn that, are, again, just like Kerbal, uh, the only way to learn is to play and fail uh, and keep failing and fail a different way and figure out what you, uh, what you did that time that you don't do the next time. So, again, this is another game that it may be, seem inaccessible, uh, but if you're willing to, to lose and be horrible, uh, there's so much there's so much fun and, and enjoyment to be had so my number three um, which i'm pretty sure is also on your list is like wing commander two and three is one where i cheat a little bit by combining multiple games and that is the mass effect trilogy um i played these so every summer my wife takes my three kids to visit her parents in colorado and because she goes for 
six weeks or something like that, um, and I can't typically take six weeks off from work, I have most of that time here at our house without anyone else around, and I use that to play video games. I always go into the the six weeks thinking like, man, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to get so much writing (laughs) done. I'm going to finish that manuscript, or I'm going to write this short story, or whatever else, and then I end up playing video games. And so Mass Effect Trilogy was played over, I think, two summers worth of summer vacation um and i so i i played these games out of order which i well that's interesting because so mass effect one was i believe an xbox exclusive or it was xbox and pc i think it's since come out on it's since come out but 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 yeah xbox original but at the time it was not available and so i got i started with mass effect 2 and it had a little basically graphic novel that you could watch and it told you the story of Mass Effect 1 and gave you the opportunity to make some choices. Right. So I knew I knew most of the story of 1 going into 2. So yeah, 1 was not available, only 2 at the PlayStation 3. Um, and so I played 2 and 3, and then 1 came out on the PlayStation 3, and so I went back <laughs> and played it. Um, I don't think it hurt my enjoyment all that much, uh, because I it was amazing and i can't imagine being all that much more amazing it might be higher on your list like it is on mine if it you might be higher it on the list um if i had played it in that order but these games man um i so first off i have to say one of the things that made mass effect work so well for me is my dirty secret is i am terrible at video games i, I am really bad like i was that kid who we'd all go over to our friends houses to play nintendo and no one really wanted me to play because i sucked at it they give you the control that didn't work and yeah so i mean i playing. like like so they, they kind of like super mario brothers i've never beaten super mario brothers <laughs> or even come close to it and um i'm i'm just if it comes to action and like having to jump and having to shoot at stuff and aim and do all that stuff quickly and not die i am the last person um so one thing i really liked about mass effect was if you put it on the easiest difficulty level it was really easy I don't think I died once in Mass Effect 2 and 3, and I don't think I died in 1 either, which was exactly how I like it. Because like you <laughs> said, like I, the, the combat in those games is fun. I mean, it's it certainly gets better as the games go on. Yeah, 1's a little clunky. But... Yeah, 1's clunky. 3 feels much tighter. It's still play. 1's yeah, still no, perfectly playable. And and I mean, the com- it's fun because you're in cool environments and the scenarios you're fighting through are fun, but that's not why I played them. I played them for the the cutscenes and the interacting with people. Right. So what's the point of dying? You might as well just, right. Not, yeah, no, cause... I didn't, I didn't have any, I mean, why? Yeah. Like, why would you, I have, I had an essay I wrote once about, <laughs> um, video games. Like, so this, this is a weird thing. Like when, when I was playing video games as a kid, both on, on consoles, on the Nintendo, you had the game genie. I remember that, game. Genie. Yeah. That let you punch in cheat codes. And on the PC, there were always cheat codes. Like, you could just you hit till to pull down the console right. and type in God mode or whatever, and you wouldn't die. And games don't have cheat codes anymore. I mean, even, like, when I would play some of these things on my Mac, like, when I played Dragon Age on my Mac, there weren't cheat codes that I could... You had to you had to do hacks and all sorts of mods and things like right, that. Right, or download... They're called trainers. That, trainers, yeah. yeah. And I, I wrote this essay about how video... I think it was called, like, Video Games Should Always Let You Win, about how weird it was that you play these games that 
are enormous narratives. I mean, they're like they're like watching you know multiple seasons of a TV show or reading multiple giant novels. I mean, just in terms of the quantity of storytelling, right. dozens of that. hours of yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and and then you get to but then that you could get to a point where it's like but i can't beat that boss and so now i can't hear the rest of the story i can't watch the rest of the story i can't live through the rest of the story and it's like it would be like if you know there was a you're reading a novel so you're reading like one of the game of thrones books and you get to page like 657 and then there's some enormously hard brain teaser puzzle or whatever (laughs) and if you can't beat it then you don't get to read page 650 uh-huh um and and that always struck me as it still strikes me as you know, like I, that was why in in i think other rockstar games did this but la noir did this too like if you got to an action sequence if you failed the action sequence some number of times it would let you skip it oh that's interesting uh, it would just say like do you want to you know skip to the end of this and then you could and then the game goes on because yeah, I don't think any of the GTA games had anything uh, like that, and and that was that seemed like a good. So that this is just off-topic pet peeve. Like, it's one thing if the game is nothing; it's like it's just a platformer, and that's all it is. Then that's fine. You know, it should be hard and whatever. But if it's like you're investing hundreds of hours in a story, either make the game extraordinarily easy for people like me, or give you some out so that you don't get stuck and miss out on the last twenty percent or whatever. But I guess that that is probably a vestige of of when games were super Mario brothers, you know, like, like, yeah, I, if you think of games as, uh, the way you think of a game of Thrones novel, then, then yeah, that doesn't, that really doesn't make any sense. But I, yeah, it sounds to me like that's something that's just, I guess it's just stuck around because that's what, that's what video games have always been. Uh, but now they're not, now they are this, it's like, like you said, this is binge watching a TV show yeah. and having some arbitrary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I've noticed, I've also noticed that as I've gotten older, my, my quick twitch muscles aren't quite, I'm not as nearly as good at, at video games as I used to be. So I've, I've run into that a little bit myself actually. But yeah, so that was, I mean, one of, I, I would not have enjoyed Mass Effect. I would never have completed it if the easy level had not been as easy as it is. Um, and that's my, all games going forward, I spend a lot of time, like, if I'm going to, how easy is this game? And it turns out it's, that's a hard thing to Google for. Like, people don't really, <laughs> in part because if you find questions like, is this game really easy? The responses aren't yes. The responses are like, you suck or get better at it. Or, yeah, why like, do you even want to play new, the game if you, yeah. if you suck at yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's uh, the internet environment I, I suppose yes so that's okay but we'll, we'll set that aside because that's not really why the, the fact that it's easy is not really what makes the mass effect trilogy good um but for me these games i have i had never played games where i felt as connected to the characters as i did with the mass effect games like the story's great and i loved the epic sci-fi the space opera in fact i even I even really liked the end of Mass Effect 3. Um, I thought it ended well and was what I wanted. But it was the characters. Like, the fact that after finishing Mass Effect 2 um, and waiting for... 3 wasn't, I don't think, quite out yet. um, I missed them. Like, I genuinely missed these characters. Which is something that I don't think has ever happened, except the only other time that I missed characters like that was when I finished reading The Seven Books of the Dark Tower. I've never. Then, I've read a lot of Stephen King, but I've never read The Dark Tower. And and um, upon finishing it, and that was quite an investment to go through because they weren't seven short books. I immediately wanted to pick it up again because I missed the characters, mm-hmm. and that is how I felt each time I finished 
the Mass Effect games was I wanted to spend more time with these people. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that that was the first time that it happened to me in a game. And that's what made it the experience that it was. It was just the writing and the interaction and, and the those moments like Mass Effect 2, I think, was the best at this, that you'd, you know, you do a story mission and then it would like reset all the characters in your ship. Like they'd have something new to tell you. So then you would walk around talking to each one of them and then you'd go do another mission and it would reset. And so I would do the story mission just to get that reset moment when I could go and talk to a random crew member and learn more about them or have some interaction with them because I just wanted to spend time with these people. Right. I I suppose I'll come back to, I'll fill this out more fully in a minute when I come to this in my list. But, uh, but yeah, I, there is no way there's another game where I have so much sought out every piece of voice acting, every bit of narrative that I could leech from the game. And I remember, uh, it was kind of true in Mass Effect 1 also, I think, where, um, after every mission, I would I had patterns that I would go around the ship just to hear. And in any probably any other game, this would have been insufferable and annoying and obnoxious that you had. And I would have complained that you have to. But I wanted to hear what they had to say so much. The, uh, aside from there was a couple characters who I never cared about. Caden uh, in the first, I killed him off. I always I killed, killed him off in the graphic <laughs> novel. So. Well, so, okay, you killed him without even having to talk yeah. to him. Uh, and the, if you had played the first game, you would have killed him. I killed uh, him when I got around to the first game. <laughs> uh, but aside, but yeah, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, as far as creating a game where I wanted to hear every single thing that happened. And again, I, I never had a problem with it. I just played on whatever difficulty the game came in. Uh, and yeah, they were they were fine. I, I never had a problem with it. I, I'm not somebody who wants to play on the hardest level and get the hardest combat. I agree with you about that. Um, I guess I'm just a little better at or was a little better at it at that time. So it never bothered me. It would be hard to be worse. But yeah, I would have done whatever it took. I would not have stopped those games. Uh, just be, If I couldn't have beat a boss, I would have cheated. I would have found out some way. And I yeah, I don't think there's another game where I really have. I wanted to hear everything that everybody had to say. And I've played these games multiple times, and I still, I still find myself doing that. It's actually uh, bordering on pathological, I think. So I think we're on your number two. My number two, and I think my number two is probably on your list coming up, but my number two is The Witcher 3. Well, I'll just say it's my number two as well. So okay, we good. Just, we can just talk about it. We can talk about so, it. So, you know, you had the Mass Effect trilogy. I I really am limiting this to The Witcher 3. Uh, I, I played The Witcher 2 a little bit at my brother's behest when that came out. Uh, I thought it was too hard uh, initially. I just couldn't, I couldn't really get into it. Um, I found I downloaded it recently and found a cheat code. To oh well, there make you go. Invincible, so I'm I'm working my way through it. Uh, but so th- these, I, I've never been that huge, that big a fan of of fantasy. I've never been that big a fan of, um, you know, magic and and things of that nature. But one of the things I really loved about the Witcher series, uh, is it's so much of it is the lore from our from hum from humanity it's, it's so much of these um stories it's a world where werewolves are real and vampires are real uh and that's that's kind of the back the backdrop for for the setting of these games and these were based on uh some novels from a polish author author go ahead sorry which are very good i was just gonna say yeah I've... after i've i played so 
I never played The Witcher 1. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, I kind of played The Witcher 2 and couldn't couldn't get into it. I played The Witcher 3 straight through when it came out. Uh, and after I finished The Witcher 3, I read, I found translations of every one of those novels and read all of them. And I just couldn't uh, put it down. And for what it's worth, the games are actually very faithful, I think, to, yeah. the, to the source material. Um, I would go so far as to say that I think The Witcher 3 is the best, the best game that I've ever played. Uh, I think the, um, what I, everything I, I said as a criticism of games like Red Dead Redemption, where you don't really have an impact on the story, you're just kind of along for the ride. Uh, that's not true with, that's not true with The Witcher 3. Uh, you have a lot of, I mean, it's a game of moral choices. And whereas the, the Mass Effect games, I felt like they kind of held your hand a little bit. You, you knew, you know, in Mass Effect, what the good answer is to to a a conundrum you know what you know what the bad so it gives you the choice do you want to be a good guy do you want to be a smart ass do you want to uh do you want to be a horrible person uh but you you basically know the the outcomes of your actions when you take them uh the witcher is not like that the witcher it's not always clear to you uh what the implications of your behavior are going to be yeah i think i mean i don't know that i ever strongly regretted a decision in mass effect i mean there were decisions like I wanted to go back and play it the other way to see what happened, but I never felt bad about any decisions. Whereas in Witcher 3, I constantly felt bad about decisions I had made. Not because, like, I had made, you know, I'm going to try to be evil and I don't really like being evil, but because, like, I made that decision and in a very fair way, it turned out not in the way I expected and bad things happened because of it. And I felt guilty um, I knew I had done like, you know, if I was doing it again, I would choose the same thing, but it made you, it made you feel the weight of the decisions in a way that no other game I've played has done. Right. I don't know if you want to, how close to spoilers you want to get with any of these avoid, things. I mean, minor, but. Uh, sure. But so, but so, yeah, I think that's right. Not only, uh, the important thing is not just the, the, that you don't necessarily know what the impact of your actions are going to be. And one of the things I, I love so much about the game is the impacts could like cascade. The thing you do early on in the game could have multiple impacts throughout the game that you never had any chance to anticipate. Uh, but it, I never felt, even in those events where you, you're presented with a choice and you make what you think is a perfectly reasonable choice and the answer turns out to be something horrible, uh, it never felt arbitrary. It never felt like it was just random and there was no weight to anything you're doing because the game's just going to do whatever it wants anyway. It was always, the, even the, the nasty outcomes when you were trying to you know, get a good outcome, it felt like that was a reasonable thing that happened it was a rational conclusion of yeah, that felt like the game had earned them right uh and so not just the moral choices but also the branching story arcs so like i say it's this is kind of the same thing with with uh the moral issues in mass effect where you kind of know what the good guy choice is uh you understand what the narrative implications of your choices are going to be most of the time in a game like mass effect uh in witcher there are just dozens and dozens and dozens of branches to every to every storyline and the order you play the quests in um so i've never played a game like that i've still never played i think that is the the standard now uh as far as as these kind of you know interactive storytelling go um just because there are so many possible outcomes. I think you could probably play this game your whole life and never see every single possible outcome uh, and every arrangement of them. Yeah, I, I'll i say, I mean, you mentioned, like, you mentioned that this is a world 
where all of these scary things are real. Um, and that's, but they're real. I wanted to say they're real in really interesting ways. Like it's not like, oh, there's werewolves and there's vampires and you got to fight these things, which is how a lot of video games are. But there's werewolves and they're people too. I think that was... So, werewolves are people too? Yeah. So yes. I mean, that that's like, so there, there's a quest in particular where that deals with a werewolf um, and is you go into it thinking it's one thing. It turns out to be something else, which is surprising in and of itself, but that something else leads you to a really tragic choice where the the monsters in this are as sympathetic as the people. A lot of times, a lot of times more. A lot of times it, it, it really more. gets at that kind of yeah. you know classic kind of sci-fi. Like maybe humans, maybe humans are the monsters right. in this world, right? And and you you so you feel. I mean, this is another thing that I should say about this. You, so you mentioned that Mass Effect was a game where you you like did everything, right? The Witcher is. I I have never completed a game to the extent that I completed The Witcher. So Mass Effect, I I talked to everyone i did everything but there were tons of like side quests i never did Mm -hmm. that were like fetch quests go and find this thing find three of this thing and then bring it back to this person he'll say one thing and thank you and you get you know some credits or whatever but the witcher every single quest in that is worth doing because every single quest whether it's a small part of the main quest or it's you know, you get these Witcher contracts because you're, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, you're this kind of traveling monster hunter who wanders from place to place getting paid to kill monsters that are terror- terrorizing people. Um, and so you get contracts to take out various monsters. And every single one of them is a phenomenally developed little story. Even the most minor quest, even a quest that takes like 10 minutes, is a poignant story with interesting people whose lives touch your character and that you touch um and so i just i would wander the map looking for every la- and you would want you'd you'd come across like just little occurrences that were by themselves fascinating little stories like this is probably the writing i mean just the the quantity of incredible writing in this game is off the charts. And because we, sh- I said earlier that these are faithful to the source material, but this is these are not stories from the source material. No. This is written from scratch by uh, CD Projekt, is this Polish uh, video game developer. So that's the most impressive thing to me. I mean, it's 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 impressive to take source material and make something great, even you know sticking very close to the source material, uh, but to take it and create your own world and create basically hundreds of hours worth of content and story content. And to, like you said, um, and this is adult. These are adult stories. I don't mean that there's, yeah. you know, sex and violence, but I mean, the very, there is plenty of sex and violence. There is plenty of sex and violence and, and, uh, lots of nudity and yeah. Geralt in a, in a bathtub is a, is a meme now. Uh, but it's every issue is so weighty. Like this, this is not this is not i think it's probably not like it was certainly not like nothing i've ever played before as far as the implications of these decisions you know that uh, so many of the decisions in the game are questions of of life and death uh and the game just relentlessly hits you with the consequences of 
of your own behavior. Uh, and I don't want to, again, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but uh, the way the game... So Mass Effect, for instance, basically, especially the third game, the way the game decides whether you did a good job or not is basically just tallying up these points of the various things you've done. And unfortunately, I think in, in the third Mass Effect game, they actually present you with this kind of score to, to show you how well you're doing. Uh, the way that The Witcher decides finally whether you've done a good job and uh, what the implications of your choices are, go are going to be um, is the best thing I've probably ever played in video gaming. The way... Um, the way the game decides uh, what ending you get mm -hmm. and uh, how this story ends um, is perfect. And I don't, it's so perfect that I don't want to even give any hints as far as, as how the game decides these things. But uh, I was just floored by it. I'm still floored by it. I have chills right now just, just talking <laughs> about it. That's how much. Uh, and I, 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 this is another game where so many of the characters are great and I feel like I know them and they're, they're, I looked at the, if you go on IMDb, a lot of this voice talent is like local Polish, uh, yeah. uh, voice talent. And it's just incredible how, uh, how good the voice acting is, how good the score, um, the score for the, for the game is brilliant. Uh, and also we haven't talked a lot about things like DLC, but, uh, the, the DLC packs for The Witcher could be games themselves. Yeah, particularly the last one um, is, I mean, thirty hours or so. Yeah, it's a full it's a full game for twenty bucks. I would have, yeah, I would have paid full price sure. for those and not felt like I had been, you know, screwed at the at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. Uh, so this I this is one of those games where I really if there <laughs> I I am jealous of people who haven't played this and who are just hearing about this for the first time because I really wish I could just start over and play this through again. Well, I'll given that it's my number two, I'll add a handful of additional thoughts on top of that. Uh, the first is I think one of the interesting things about Witcher Two or Witcher Three is in addition to everything you said, it is also possibly the best detective video game that I've ever played. Um, so Geralt is a monster hunter, but a lot of these, a lot of the quests that you get are something's happening. We don't know what, like people have been disappearing from this tiny village mm -hmm. that you've stumbled across. Um, and they need your help to figure it out. And so you act as a detective and Geralt is very, his personality is very, much in line with the kind of hard-boiled detective. Well, because the character. idea of the of the Witcher is that they've theoretically been stripped of their right. of their humanity. But but Geralt is basically like if you took a if you took a hard-boiled detective from you know like 1940s Los right. Angeles, La Noir, La Noir, and you threw that person into a fantasy setting with monsters from fairy tales come to life, that's what you'd get. And you made him a badass with swords, uh, but. The mechanics, just the way that you go about detecting, the way that you use your Witcher senses to search for clues and interviewing people and piecing stories together. And there's frequently times when you'll interview multiple witnesses and they'll give conflicting stories and you call people out on things. Then you have to make, yeah, without complete make, information, you have to make a choice. You have to, yeah, and and you have to decide. I mean, sometimes you have to decide the fate of these people, which is, I mean, there's so that the very beginning of the game, um, there's a point where, like, and I think this is the moment where, like, the the weight of the choices. I think just, I already know where you're going. So you you come across there's a dwarf, and his he's a dwarven blacksmith, and his smith has been his his business has been burned down, um, 
and he thinks it's because of anti-dwarf prejudice in the town that's all humans and so he asks you to look for the person and you find the person pretty easily like you basically follow footprints and track them down and it's like this town drunk just this kind of uh angry anti-immigrant guy who decided to burn down the the dwarves home um and and so you find him and you bring him back to the dwarf right which is all I mean this is all really straightforward at this point. Right. This, this is, is like every, every game other you've game that you've played. And then the the occupying authority shows up while you're talking to the dwarf. Um and they ask and you you have the opportunity to turn the guy in or not. And I just turn I mean that's what you do in these games like here's the criminal, you know, right. I this found is the him. good this is what the good this guy does. This is what the good guy games. does. In Mass Effect you would get, you know, 2500 XP and the yeah, guy would say yeah, thanks and for that's, yeah. Um and then they take him off and they execute him. Like he begs for his life and they take him off and they execute him. And it's this like choice that you make because you could have chosen otherwise and you could have not turned him in. I mean, he, yes, like the dwarf can rebuild, but this guy, you've just basically condemned this man to death. And that was like the moment where I was like, this game, there's, you know. This is a different set of rules. This is a different set of rules. Like, because that was one of those choices where it was fair and it was, you know, the right choice, but I felt terrible about it. And and what was what was crazy was it was like the feeling terrible about it, like you had only known this guy for a few minutes. You'd exchanged a handful, but the the voice acting, and we should say, you know, the the quality of the the character animations and the facial animations are like you buy these as real people right. when you're interacting. Geralt, with them. so much of the game, and this is where I I mean it's, this game deserves credit for it, but I think this is where games are going is now we're getting to a point where so much can be communicated with facial expressions yeah. like it is in real life where yeah. it hasn't always, you know, in, in uh, you haven't always been able to do this in games and even games like the Fallout games can't really get this. Yeah. But uh, Geralt is talking to you, you the player, through his expressions, through a grunt, through a sigh. Uh, and this game does that so well. Yeah. Um, so that... But that, so that, the, the detectiveness and, and then that, I mean, we've already talked about the kind of way of your choices, but that, so as a detective game, it's, I think, second to none. Um, the other thing about this game, and it's something that I liked about other games on my list. So Mass Effect and Dragon Age, but I think it's at its peak with Witcher 3 is what I'll call like opinionated protagonists. So a lot of these grand narrative rpgs so i'm thinking of say take the the fallout games or everything bethesda's done the the elder scrolls games or just like games that fall under the category of role-playing games in general have presented your protagonist is supposed to be you Mm -hmm. right but it's not you know in it if you're playing a tabletop rpg like you can you really invent you can play act this person you can mold this person and you can create whoever you want to be it's really like it's a role-playing game um in in the computer games you can't do that and so what they do is they give you effectively a blank which means ultimately very bland protagonist and then sometimes voiceless as you sometimes voiceless (laughs) uh and and then you have a handful of dialogue choices and there's like the mean choice or the nice choice or whatever but you're not really the, the protagonist is kind of feels empty. Like I, you know, you played, I played all the way through Skyrim um, and there was lots of interesting stuff, but I never felt like there was a person that was me in that world because you're just this 
this kind of blank that's floating through the world. But Geralt, and you get this with Shepard in Mass Effect, you're not, it's not a role-playing game in the sense that, like, you're not creating a character. Right. Geralt is the character, and Geralt has his personality. And he existed before these games started. he existed before the game, and you don't get to change Geralt. Like, you don't get to, you don't get to decide, like, what kind of person Geralt no, is. No, he might or, even be annoyed with the way, you yeah, almost, like, you almost feel like if you, if you don't do things that Geralt should be doing, you almost feel like he's annoyed with you. Yeah, um... Yes, absolutely. Like, and so you, so you get to guide, but you get to guide Geralt. Like you get to, you know, and you can pick between these things and you can make choices for Geralt, but this is Geralt's story. It's not your story. And I think that has the effect for me. And again, this is what I got in Dragon Age 2 to some extent and in Mass Effect to a greater extent, but it really came through in Witcher is how much more of a connection that makes you feel not only to like that character, but to the other characters and to the world for the same reason that, you know, we watch, we watch movies and aside from a handful of gimmicky movies, like there's one based on a Raymond Chandler novel, I think that does this where it's all in the first person mm-hmm. and like Philip Marlowe, just, you know, you're, you're the viewer <laughs> supposed to be like, you don't, you don't connect because you got to invest you in it. It's that you invested in this character and you see the world through their eyes and you feel what they're feeling. And that's where the emotional connection is. And that, I think, is what works so well about Witcher is that Geralt is not you, um, but you come to just invest in Geralt, and then you invest in the relationships that Geralt has, which just amps up the level of connection to the whole, to the game as a whole, whereas in something like Skyrim, there's always this distance because there's not really a person that you've latched onto going through the world. Right, and I, I have so many times when I play the game, I really have thought to myself, and this is the only game where I probably ever thought this, is, nope, Geralt wouldn't, Geralt mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. That's not the choice that Geralt... It mm-hmm. might be the choice that I would make, but this isn't my, this isn't my story. This is Geralt, and I owe it to him uh, to do the choice that Geralt uh, would make. Um and I, yeah, and I, uh, going back to this theme of of this being an adult game, I also enjoyed how complex the the politics of this world yes. are. Uh, and I guess it, it, there is, you know, there's a moral ambiguity to this. The uh, the emperor who is voiced by Charles Dance, who you know as Tywin Lannister, and he's perfect uh, in this role. But like y- your relationship to the emperor is complicated it's complicated in almost a weird way that it's not it's not enti- and especially if you read the novels you'll kind of get you'll get a better appreciation of this uh but these are human relationships this is not these are not video game relationships yeah. these are complicated you don't always know what people are thinking or why um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I, this is, it was like a game. It was, it's like no other game I've played. And I felt the same way about as, as far as, um, Geralt was here before you and he'll be here after you. This is the, you're just kind of, uh, getting to peek in at, at this, at this story and have some influence over it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think people can tell I dearly love this game. And if you haven't played it, I don't, I don't care what you have to pay, uh, to play it. You, you're just missing out if you haven't. So then now what's the one game that you've ranked above it? So I'm going to cheat. I didn't name the Witcher trilogy, but I will name the Mass Effect trilogy as my favorite. And again, I, I said, and I stand by that. I think the Witcher three is the best, is the best game that's ever been made, um, Mass Effect trilogy is my favorite game. And if I could only play one game forever, my Desert Island game that I had to play this over and over that I'll be thinking about on my deathbed, 
it's it's the Mass Effect games. Uh, I'm going to echo uh, you know some of what you said. I this is true of Geralt, and it's true of some of the characters in The Witcher. But I feel like the characters in Mass Effect were part of my life. I feel in my memory they are they are kept in the same part of my brain as actual people that I've known and liked. Uh, and what's so impressive is how many of them are memorable characters. Like, you you know, we talked about going through the ship over and over again to hear what everybody has to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy enough to have one or two memorable characters in a game. This is a game that had a dozen, you know, a dozen, a dozen characters that you were interested in their lives, you were interested in their stories. Uh, I do think Mass, uh, Mass Effect over The Witcher benefits from the fact that, A, I'm, I'm just in love with this space opera idea. It, it hits the same part of me that Battlestar Galactica hits in the, in the TV context. Uh, so it, they get some cheap points for that. Uh, and, I, you know, Mass Effect came along for, uh, years before The Witcher did. So when I, I, I did play them in the correct order, uh, and Mass Effect 1, it just blew me away. And again, I, because I didn't grow up playing RPG games, uh, I, any game that, that was like this, had this kind of narrative scope that I played, was always like a first-person shooter. So this whole character development and moral choices and stuff, I'd never uh, really dealt with that before. Uh, and the first Mass Effect game... It had the the wonderful film grain, like this 80s. It was very blue. It had this like synth uh, uh, old school sci-fi score. I just fell in love with the world. I fell in love with the game. Um, and it never stopped. It didn't... Uh, I, I think... I personally think Mass Effect 1 is the best game of the series. I know a lot of really? people like 2 and I... hate 3. I, I agree with you. I liked Mass Effect 3. I like the way it ended. Uh, I don't think people are entitled to the kind of ending they, they thought they were entitled to. Uh, um, See, I put... I think 1... It's hard for me to know because I played them out of order, but I would say, I mean, easily 2 is my favorite. Um, I think that's the general the yeah. consensus is that I, two's the best game. I think what it had was structurally, it's the most like tight of the games. So you you, you like you know go like at the very beginning you know what your goal is for the end of the game, and right. each piece fits into it, and it all builds to this one thing um, with lots of digressions and whatever else. But it felt structurally, it felt the tightest of them yeah and mass effect one is really open world i mean you go to whatever planets you want and you zoom around on the on the mako and you know a lot of the interiors look the same it's uh, and like we said it is a little clunky uh but yeah and this is very self-guided you this is kind of a little detective you're trying to figure out what the problem is uh and then by the end of mass effect one you know what the problem is and the, the rest of the series really did tighten down uh, because the now we know what the problem is and it's it's what do we do about it uh, and I think there were across the entire trilogy I think there were pacing problems I mean there's there are like you said in 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 the Witcher there are so many every side quest is its own story and it's given the respect of its own story yes but there is I mean the pacing thing the, the, there's a conceit to all these games where it's like and this happens in The Witcher and it happens in Mass Effect and it happens to all the others is like, oh my God, like the world is going to end. There's this incredible crisis that we have to head off or in in The Witcher, it's like, I have to save this person. She's being chased by like the most evil thing that's ever been. Mm. I have to find her before she dies. But 
I'm going to go on the side quest where I go and wander around in this town and talk to, you know, like, and, <laughs> right, and, you can, that, and, like, and in these games there, you can always like go online and find the right, you, there, you, you get the sense there is an order that you're meant to play. Sure. In, and if you step outside of that, you can, but the world it, does seem to pause around you as you go off sure. on weird errands. I think for me, the Witcher, I mean, I'm not the Witcher. I think Ma- Mass Effect three especially had this problem where it was just really pronounced where, uh, the al- evil aliens are turning earth into goo and you need to find new heating ducts on the yeah. Citadel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, whatever. Uh, but th- so those are criticisms yeah, that, sure. I, that I would have of these games. Uh, but I, I fell in love with mass effect one. I fell in love with the characters. Um, at the time I hadn't played the Witcher. So at the time, you know, it, it felt like the moral choices you were making in these games had real weight. Like my shepherd, I, I did end up kind of feeling that way that my shepherd is, a, a thing independent of me and by the third game you're thinking well shepherd wouldn't shepherd wouldn't do this um uh like we said the first one the first one was a much more open world game uh they i think a lot of people complained about how much uh you know customization it was and how unfocused it was so then the, the latter two games they really uh narrowed that down um, but yeah, for those reasons, the, the sci-fi thing, the space opera thing, the characterization, the score is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I still don't know, uh, in my life, I still don't know if I love the score because I love the game or vice versa. There's a kind of a chicken egg problem I have with, with some of these game scores where I don't know if they're independently great or if they just bring back, uh, these memories. Uh, and I also thought the last, the very last DLC for Mass Effect, um, yes. which was the Citadel, uh, it's it's kind of over the top and and cheesy but i i loved it i and again i feel like this is a game that earned that earned that that earned uh the jokes and what i should say that about the witcher and and mass effect is these games are funny uh and Mm -hmm. i I, i'm sure that's a product of being well written uh but i always make this complaint about like the walking dead tv show that there's nothing everybody takes themselves so seriously all the time there's nothing funny going on uh but but these games are hilarious too and i think mass effect was as well and i think um yeah by the time i was done with the mass effect trilogy and the citadel dlc i was just in love with the characters i was in love with the game and despite the fact that i think the witcher is a better game mass effect is is probably my favorite forever and uh Unless they make better Mass Effect games in the future, the most right. recent one uh, is not that. I gave it every chance. I gave it yeah. every chance, but it. it uh, I finished it, but it was a slog, and I did not. I did not feel the urge to go back and play it again the way I did with the original trilogy. Yeah, I don't know that I'll. I don't know that I'll play it over yeah. again. Uh, but maybe that's maybe that's for the best. <laughs> maybe the Mass Effect trilogy just should be this thing in my head that I romanticize for the for the rest of my life. So uh, I got to ask then. So you disconnected the characters. Who did your shepherd romance? My shepherd always romanced Liara. I liked Tally, but I don't know. Like it was the first time I the first time I played the game, that's what happened. And then every time I've probably played through those games four or five times. Uh mostly because I would find out that a choice I made wasn't the choice that I should have made. So I just, I actually, what I was doing is looking for any excuse to start the whole game over and, and play through again. Uh, but yeah, my shepherd always, always romances Liara. I don't know. I, I don't, I haven't really thought about, you know, to articulate why, but that's, that's what my shepherd does. So she wasn't. So because I started with mass effect two and she's not into, except for there's a DLC that she shows up. A very in. good DLC. Yes. But it, so I didn't really know that character. Right. Um, 
my shepherd romance jack jack interesting um which, yeah she's not in the first game she so. was not in the first game so um just because i dig tattoos i guess well <laughs> well so yeah and because because i ended up like processing these as people yeah that would have felt like cheating that would have felt that would have felt <laughs> dishonest yeah in the despite the fact that liara is not really in the second game uh, i i was still committed my yeah, shepherd was committed to that relationship throughout the game regardless uh that's how that's how deep into this i am <laughs> okay so my number one um so with the exception of star control 2 everything on my list has been triple a titles and oh yeah everything we've been talking about recently has been triple a titles my number one is not a triple a title and i was not sure about placing it at number one because it's not i mean i agree with you i think witcher 3 is the greatest video game ever made in kind of all senses of greatest it's i mean it's huge um and with the dlc i mean this is hundreds and hundreds and hours and all that whereas my number one is i think three hours four if you push it Mm. um but my number one is gone home interesting so you've been you've been trying to get me to play this and it's in my steam library but i haven't gotten into it yet it is so gone home is i think that the genre is known as walking simulator that's what it's called <laughs> which is probably pejorative um but gone home is a very small game this is a first person game where <clears throat> you are a college student she's gone to she's just spent i think a year abroad studying abroad and she's come home and it's she comes home it's rainy stormy at night it opens with you at the front door of the house i got that far in the game i'm still on the front porch and no one's home so you have there's parents and a younger sister in the family and they're not at home and so the game is wandering this house figuring out where they are and as you're doing that figuring out the story of this family, the story of these individual characters. And I'll say, you know, that it's it's dark and stormy and it feels like initially because it's first person and you're you're kind of primed for the way that video games are. For the first bit of it, I kept expecting this to be almost like a horror thing. Like I didn't know anything about what this game was about. Right. It Something's was, gotta fly out yeah, of the closet. It was like because it was on it was on sale. I had heard that it was a, you know, popular indie game. I picked it up and I kept expecting this, and there's there's hints of something with a younger sister that, you know, seem like they might be scary, and it's not that at all. Um, it's simply, like, the story of these people, and very carefully, like, you, so you just walk through this house, and you pick up objects, and you find things, and slowly piece together the story, um, and you find this, there's a troubled marriage with your parents, um, and there's your sister I think is still in high school and so it's about her relationships and so you find notes from her and you find your dad is a writer who had one successful book and has been failing and following it up for years and it's just it's incredible there's no so there's no dialogue except for occasionally you find I think what are diary entries of your sister that are voiced that kind of are are you know, guideposts in the story, like you, you finish the game when you found all of them. And, and so you have to, you know, unlock parts of the house. There's a little bit of a gimmicky, like finding passages in the house to move oh, to the to whole location. game takes place in the house. The whole game takes place in the house, but, 
but really it's just you wander through the house and you'll find like you know you go to the there's a trash can by your dad's desk and there's crumbled up papers and you read them and you get bits of a story and there's like stuff on the answering machine and it's i i played it all the way through in one sitting um and i don't know that any game has ever touched me the way that it did like the 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 characters um it was i wanted you know the game ends i'm not going to give away like what you find out about these people but the game ends you haven't they're they're your family is still not home when mm-hmm. the game ends, but you've figured out where they are and what's been going on with them in the time that you've been gone. And I wanted nothing more than to like finally meet them and talk with them um, and and hear from them. Um, it it just this game got me on an emotional level in a way that no other game has, and I think that's I mean, so that's ultimately why I ranked it higher because than Witcher or Mass Effect because in like a, you know, emotional punch per hour played, <laughs> it's incredible. Well, yeah, that's an interesting way to think of, of games, I think, is, yeah, entertainment per, entertainment hours per dollar, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I haven't played Gone Home, so I can't I can't speak to that. But I, I think that's what really goes for, for all the games at the top of my list is like, I it does hit that emotional center. This is not like to me, I divide games into like three categories, right? Like there's like time wasting games, uh, games like Spelunky where you got 45 minutes to kill, uh, but you're not really getting anything out of this except passing time. And then there's the, you know, I mentioned some games that are about you, you're learning stuff. Uh, but then the games that really, yeah, the games that really speak to me and end up becoming my favorites are these moral, emotional narratives. And I think that's, People who don't play video games, I feel like they... I don't know if they appreciate that because they don't they don't know what they're missing because they still have this, like, Mario Brothers conception of what, of what video games are. Uh, but, yeah, I think you can make a four-hour video game that touches somebody uh, for the rest of their life. And, I mean, we understand this in movies. You know, the, the great movies are, are, you know, 90 minutes or two hours long. Um so yeah, I think I really feel like video games are an underappreciated medium of of translating that, of translating those emotional notes and and characters. Um, I cared about the characters in Mass Effect, you know, this kind of like you and your and your crew against the galaxy kind of kind of idea. Um, so yeah, I, that that to me is what I love about video games is that the the emotional resonance, the stuff that sticks with you. Even you know, you played the game for three hours, but you're thinking about it. Uh, the rest of your life. Hi, I'm Nora Powell. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider supporting the show. It's easy. Just visit AaronRossPowell.com slash support. And I hope you'll join us next time.